Welcome to Christ Church Anglican. We hope that you are blessed by today's sermon. Let me start with a quick prayer. Heavenly Father, I ask that the words that I speak tonight be yours, not mine. And I ask that you be with us tonight as we study your gospel, your message. And Father, ask that you watch over us and let us absorb what we need to absorb. And I ask this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. How are y'all doing tonight? Yeah. Okay. I'm looking forward to this, actually. When uh, Stephen asked me, I was looking at Mark 13, and it looks a little disjointed in terms of how it's structured. Because it starts with a question, and then all of a sudden he gets into prophecy. But I took a step back. And I looked at uh, the way Mark was structured overall. There's a rule if you ever get into it. I, I, I've heard it as a 20-20 rule, where you always study 20 verses before and 20 verses after to gather context. So let me go back into a little bit of background. Mark is the earliest account of the life and times of Jesus, what we call the Gospels. It was written in about 50 AD. Mark is synchronized with Luke and with Matthew. Now, Mark and Luke were two people that were, I'm going to say, I'm not going to say not apostles, they were secondary apostles. They walked with the apostles. Matthew was actually an apostle, a little different account. But they all tell the same story. And the beauty of this, let me talk about one of the first messages, is if you've ever wondered if the word of God is accurate, think about this. This was 15 years, 20 years after the uh, resurrection of Jesus. Somebody would have said, hey, I was there. This all was, this didn't happen. And that did not occur. Keep in mind the times and what we were looking at back then. This is a validity, this is a validation of scripture. I just want to point that out. So where are we at in Jesus' ministry? As Stephen mentioned, um, the, the writing teaches us that Jesus was coming out of the synagogue. Um, he had said his peace to the Jewish authorities. He had talked to them and basically criticized them, told them what was going to happen to them. And let's just say they were not happy with him at this time. <laughs> but if you take a step back, when Jesus came in to Jerusalem, what were they calling him? They were calling him son of David. The people thought he was going to be the one who was going to lead them into a revolt. So it's an interesting look at this. Now, he had closed his last public discourse. And I want you to think emotionally for half a second. Okay, Jesus had left his father's house for the last time. He was walking away. As he walked away, God's presence went with him and left his father's house. And Jesus knew this. His emotional state at the time, and again, I'm speculating because I wasn't there, but in reading the words and trying to understand what he was trying to communicate, he was kind of, I'm going to say despondent is the words. So, do you have the slides? Did you load them? There you go. So, um, let's talk about verse 13. When he comes out and he says... And he came out of the temple, his disciples sent to him, Look, teacher, what wonderful stones and wonderful things. And Jesus said to them, Do you see these great buildings? There will not be left one here one stone upon the other that will not be thrown down. Okay, 
Let's talk a little bit about prophecy first. Because Jesus is talking in the future. Now, again, I'm going to say that just reading it the way I was reading it, Jesus kind of snapped at him a little bit. Jesus is the God, along with the, the Holy Spirit and the Father, of the past, present, and future. When you and I see talk about the past, things that we've seen, we can say with absolute factual truth. For example, I was in the service today at 8.30. Uh, Rip Gibbs gave the sermon. Okay? That's fact. I was there. Jesus, as God, sees this at once. He sees in the future when the temple is torn down. He's seeing it while he's talking. It's all one palette to him. So, now one of the things to keep in mind about this, if you were walking with Jesus and you stubbed your toe, you could actually turn around to him and say, hey, could you have warned me about this? Because he would have seen it coming already. Of course, knowing Jesus and the way he taught it would have been more along the lines of looking at you, giving you that look like, really? You know there's a message here. So, but I want to point that out. You've got to get that in mind. Um, there are many that you hear about today that talk about the gift of prophecy. Test them. If, you are, if the prophet is of God, and this is Old Testament, he is never wrong. Okay. If you want to test prophecy, some of the, I'm trying to figure out how to phrase it kindly, some of the offshoots of the Christian religion. Uh, there was one that prophesied that Elijah and Moses and Ezekiel, not Ezekiel, um, I forget the third prophet, were going to come back in 1929. Matter of fact, they bought a house in Los Angeles. They actually bought the house. And when it didn't happen, they all kind of had egg on their face. Oh, oh, oh it's going to happen in 1955. Oh, didn't happen in 55 either. By the way, they sold the house. Okay. There was another offshoot that uh, wrote their own book. And over the next 50 years had 200 changes because the prophecy of the time was false. So, again, we got to be careful of false teachers. And I say that. Um, go ahead and flip slide, please. Because Jesus is the true prophet. He is, I mean, it, I, it's hard for me to conceive of this as a human being, but he is seeing things that are going to occur in the future as he's talking. Now, remember his, and I'm going to call it his emotional state. I mean, remember, Jesus is purely human. He just walked out of his father's house for the last time in his life. And he steps forward and they start hitting him with some questions and some things that just aren't right. And he also knows what's going to come. You know, we mentioned Easter's in two weeks. He knows what's going to happen. And then as he sat on the Mount of Olives, Peter said to James and John and asked him privately, tell us when these things will be and what the sign, all these things are about to be accomplished. Um, so let's flip over to the apostles or the disciples at the time. No, no sorry, not slides, go back. <laughs> let's talk about the, let's, let's look at this from the point of view of the, the apostles. They were looking at the, one of the wonders of the world in front of them. The stones of the great temple were 75 feet long, 10 to 25 feet high, and 10 to 25 feet deep. They weighed over a million pounds each. And Jesus is saying there will not be one stacked upon the other. 
it, it, it's almost an impossibility, something that's beyond comprehension, but that's what Jesus said. So, an interesting point, and, and Josephus points out, he, he documents the whole process, he documents the whole temple. In case you're wondering if Josephus, who a, is a Roman historian of Jewish descent, recorded all of this, you know, another validity of scripture, of course. Um, so how could it occur? How could the temple be torn down and why? What, what is the reason? Well, remember I told you that Jesus came in as the son of man, not the son of God, and the people were upset. They wanted rebellion. When Jesus walked into Jerusalem and he walked right up to the citadel and the Romans were there in full force, a thousand Roman soldiers standing there ready to defend themselves because guess what? If he would have started it, they were going to die. Every single one of them. There was no way they could have stopped the people of Judea from rising. And Jesus walked right up and all the people were cheering. And then he made a left-hand turn, went in the temple and started tossing tables around. So you think the people were happy? They weren't. But no rebellion occurred at the time. So this did not stop though. The Jews still wanted to rebel. And starting at about 67 AD, they did. And Emperor Titus, actually, yeah, Emperor Titus, who was the son of the, was a dominion, or dimension, dimension, um, he ordered the destruction of the temple. Now, a little back, back feed on this, especially I know I've got two military guys in here, so I've got to be careful. Um, when the Romans attacked, they attacked with three legions. They were burning, the Jews were setting fires at the various gates to keep the Romans from coming in. And the order from Titus was, you will not burn the temple. Because he wanted the gold in the temple. So as the Romans are coming in, the Jews are back burning everything to try to keep the Romans at bay. And when they got to the temple, the Jews had already set it on fire accidentally. Now, everybody knows what happens when you put a lot of heat around gold. What happens? It melts and it gets down in the cracks of the rocks. So as a punishment for the Roman legions, he ordered them to tear the walls down and scrape the gold off the walls under the rocks, tear the rocks up. That was the punishment. Not one rock was laid upon the other. So again, how and why? So, by the time it got to the point where they were building the Dome of the Rock, now, the, now at this time the, uh, the, air, or the Muslims are pulling rocks out, the ones that remained. Okay, there's no gold left. They've already torn it out. So there's literally not one rock standing upon the other in the original Jewish temple. There's, you know, the Western, the Wailing Wall that you always see, that, if I understand correctly and what, what I've been reading, that is not really part of the original temple, it's part of the outer structure. So the prophecy was true. Remember, Jesus saw this. Okay, next slide, please. Ah, now the cool thing about this whole discourse is I want you to put yourself in the position of one of the disciples. Let's flip back, or let's, let's remain that. All of a sudden, no, 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 I'm sorry, not the slide. Thank you for listening, though. <laughs> Think about this. A lot of teachers, and, and some of you are teachers, don't care about have their students learn 
don't care about their students, have no compassion towards their students. That's not Jesus. And that's the, the mental change that is occurring in this discourse. Be on your guard, for they will deliver you over to councils, and you will be beaten in synagogues, and you will stand before governors and kings for my sake, to bear witness before them. And the gospels must first be proclaimed to all nations. Again, prophecy. He's pointing forward, but he's also trying to let them know it's going to be okay. It's coming. It's comforting. So Jesus doesn't reply to their question directly with an answer. He replies to, with basically kind of help their consciences, conscience, consciences a little bit. He's prophesying a future event, but he's doing it on two levels. And that's the interesting thing if you read this carefully. He's definitely talking to the people directly in front of him. But we may be called to do the same. We may be called to sit before a ruler and to preach the gospel to them. This is not just for the apostles of the time. This is for us. And in the next, and when they bring you to trial and deliver you over, do not be anxious beforehand what you're to say, but say whatever is given to you that hour, for it is not you that speak, but the Holy Spirit. Jesus is comforting them, knowing what is to come. Remember, past, present, future, all at once. He's watching this occur. It's almost like he's sitting back and thinking about this and going, this is going to happen. And he's telling them what's coming. Basically, he knows that pretty much everybody sitting there right now is going to suffer horribly. Peter was crucified upside down. They were slain with swords, uh, heads cut off. You know, it's not a pretty picture. The only one we're sure died in his own bed was John. Oh, by the way, that's after they boiled him in oil and he survived. So Jesus is talking to him and he knows what's coming. Um, perfect. Jesus also loves us and knows the suffering that we will endure. Remember, there's dual meaning in this prophecy. Next. I think it's next. Okay, I think that's it. So the next, when he gets into talking about and brother will deliver brother over to death and father his child and children will rise against parents and him put to death. Put to death. Again, as prophecy, this did happen. When Nero outlawed Christianity, Christianity was tied with Judaism. So it was legal because Judaism was legal. Nero blamed the Christians for the, for the burning of Rome, which he did. And then he said Christianity is now separate. By saying that, they were no longer under protection and could be killed at any time. And they were, pay, they were literally paying people to turn Christians in. There's a whole nother discourse on that, so I won't get into it. But there were parents who were turning their children in. There were children turning their parents in. So this, is, this, this did happen, and it may happen again. Could this happen today? I want you to think about this for a second. Cancel culture. Our kids and grandkids were, could be taught that they must turn you in for your faith. That is the reality of the world we live in. And you will be hated for all my name's sake, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. Again, Jesus is the loving teacher. He's comforting us. 
Basically, his love is eternal. He sees what's going to happen. But remember, he sees the end too, not just the bad things that happen. He sees firsthand the events that will come and the lamenting on behalf of his beloved, including us. I know I'm kind of being a downer tonight. Sorry about that. That's not the intention. But remember, it is lit, so we've got to be a little somber. Um, in conclusion, okay, this, again, this was a raw moment for Jesus. And I ask you to go back and read Mark 13 with that thought in mind on your own in your own prayer time. His heart was exposed here. He knew what was coming. And he was warning his people, again, us, his people. Be bold in your faith and remember, no matter how bad things get, God is with you. I think that's a good message. A Christian who changed my perception on life early was uh, uh, Diedrich Bonhoeffer. He wrote, happiness is a choice. And it, it means a lot to me because you can choose to honor and follow God. Or you can choose to just kind of waller in the suffering that you're in right now. And those of you that aren't familiar with Bonhoeffer, um, he wrote this while in a Nazi prison awaiting execution. So he had every reason in the world to waller in his own misery, and he did not do it. He did it, he, he persevered in the name of Christ. The apostles had this same faith, and I will have this faith when faced with dire adversity. Question is, will you? Heavenly Father, we thank you for coming together in your name, Lord. Lord, we ask that, the, that you consider, you, you come upon each person and have them consider their faith in you. And Lord, where there's weakness, send the Holy Spirit to give them strength. And we ask this in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. Thanks for tuning in. For more information, feel free to visit us online at ccanglican.com. We hope you will join us again soon.